When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow with host Aileen Drexler. I'm having a relationship with my pizza. In a world where wellness looks perfect on Instagram. Just doing my workout. Tuesday's arms and back. But feels anything but in real life. Is butter a carb? Yes. This is the podcast exploring the emotional side of well-being. I would be proud to partake of your pecan pie. From people who understand the struggle. I am on the third day of my cleanse diet. Hello and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm your host, Aileen, and I am very excited to introduce today's guest. Her name is Kara Lowenthal. She's a master certified confidence coach, host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, which helps women who struggle with anxiety, self-doubt, and imposter syndrome. She's a BA from Yale and a JD from Harvard Law and spent time as a women's rights lawyer. So I'm excited to talk about all of that and more. Welcome to DST, Kara. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am very excited to know how to unfuck my brain. <laughs> that I am very excited to hear about that. I think just also reading your page and all of that, it really resonated with me and I think will with our listeners. So I am excited to get into that. So first of all, what do you do as a master certified confidence coach? What does that mean? Yes. I, who knows what these things mean? Um, I, <laughs> what I do personally, people mean a lot of different things, different kinds of coaches. I teach women how to identify the ways that socialization, meaning like the messages we get from society, have impacted our brains. Those are sometimes explicit messages like, you know, you'd be so pretty if you only smiled or like it's important for, you know, you can never be too rich or too thin or whatever. They may be explicit things you're told. Or they can just be implicit, what you pick up by noticing how people like you, whatever identity you live in, are treated in the world, whether there's people who look like you in authority positions, what you're taught about people like you, and that could be based on your gender, your race, your religion, your you know, socioeconomic status, your you know, uh, physical abilities, whatever it is. So I teach women how to, or people socialize as women, how to identify those messages and then figure out how those messages have kind of infiltrated their brains and then how to think differently. Because the problem is that when we absorb all these messages, it doesn't come out sounding like some sort of like announcer voice relaying a message in our brains. It comes out just sounding like our own thoughts, right? If you mm-hmm. heard like a weird male voice saying, you shouldn't wear that bathing suit with those thighs, like you would know that wasn't you. But instead, what you hear is your own voice just saying like, that's not flattering. I don't know. Maybe I should keep my shorts on. Right. So Mm -hmm. we have to learn how to identify the ways we've internalized that messaging and it's coming back out as our own thoughts. And then we have to learn how to step-by-step change our thoughts so that we can have more confidence, feel more empowered, go after what we really want in life. That requires changing our thought process. Yes, that's so true about the thoughts or like things you read or even, and I'm sure they, they start to interact with like either old stuff that you've heard mm-hmm. or things that have happened to you, which can reinforce totally. that message and yeah. make it and your feel family, true. Your family history, your family experiences, like it all, it all gets combined. Okay. And so then I want to hear about your story and how you got sure. here. But first, can you just briefly share what it means to unfuck your brain? Or is that what you were, is that what you just shared? Is yeah. The, so is I the, think unfucking your brain is this three-step process of identifying what's going on in your mind. Most of us are not consciously aware of a lot of the things that we think. We are going about our day and we don't even know what we're thinking. 
So it's bringing awareness, learning what you're thinking, learning how to pay attention to like that monologue in the back of your head that you may not even be aware of. It's identifying mm-hmm. what you're thinking. And then it is looking at like how, where that thought came from, whether it is serving you well, like what is happening when you think that thought? How do you feel? How do you act? Are we getting a result that we like from thinking that thought? And if not, ch- learning how to change that thought. So by we unfuck our minds, we unfuck our brains by figuring out where our brains got have gotten fucked up <laughs> by all the messages that we've internalized and then mm-hmm. how to change our thought process. Like most of us, I think, don't know. I certainly didn't know till I found this work that the thoughts you have are in your brain for a lot of random reasons, not and often not because they're actually true. And so I wasn't aware until I found this work that you can actually decide what to believe and then work step by step on believing that and actually literally change the neural structures in your brain to believe new things. So that's how we unfuck our brains. Okay. Well, I'm excited to hear more about the process. <laughs> but um, so how did you get to this place? Because I, as I shared earlier in your intro, you were a, a lawyer or went to law school. So how, how, did, how did you get here? Yeah. It's not the exactly normal career progression when you go to Harvard Law School. Um, although I think there's a lot of lawyers who become coaches, partly because we are trained to think very logically and we know how to like change our thoughts based on that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I, I mean, I've been a professional feminist my whole life. So I was a, you know, reproductive rights lawyer. And, um, and in that way, what I do now is actually a continuation of the work. I was the same mission I've always been on, which has been to help women you know, liberate themselves so that they can live live full, autonomous, equal lives. Um, But I was in law school and I, you know, went through college and law school in my legal career. But at the same time, I was always like, so many people, I think, looking to like fix myself, right? Like thought that I wasn't good enough. I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety was like my predominant problem emotion. For some people, you know, they have other ones. But I was just very anxious, always very stressed out, um, like had a lot of self-critical thoughts and had all these things in my life I wanted to fix. And, you know, it's like a kind of paradox. I ended up finding coaching after trying like yoga and meditation and therapy and a bunch of other things, partially because I was like trying to fix myself, you know, and then only to learn through coaching work that actually like it wasn't something wrong with me. It was just a thought process that I needed to change. But I think like a lot of people, I like ironically came to the work that helped me accept myself and love myself from a place of like looking for a thing to fix me. So I found, you know, I found, um, I had tried a lot of different things. And the first few coaches I tried were also did not work out that well. And then I found my teacher's work, her name's Brooke Castillo, um, and her coaching uh, kind of school is called the Life Coach School. And it just really like appealed to me. It was very analytical. And so I started just doing it to doing this kind of work, listening to her podcast, applying what she taught. Just I was not planning to leave being a lawyer. It was just like for my own life. I just wanted to feel better. And then it was so it was both so um, it was very transformative. And then I also saw all these ways in which my like history of understanding feminist theory and socialization was showing me, oh, there's like this whole world of this element to the work of changing our minds that like isn't being explored. Nobody's really talking about it. Nobody's teaching it. Like somebody has not put this together yet. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of saw and felt that like that was, that was what I could offer. Like that was this sort of missing chunk that I could offer the world and that I could offer women. And so I, uh, yeah, I (laughs) quit my job running a think tank to become a life coach. What do you say when people are like kind of iffy about the mm-hmm. the life coach? Totally. Yeah. Okay. I mean, who, who knows what a life coach is? People did not know. Right. But that's, I just think about like, that's what people used to think about physical trainers, you know? And now if you tell somebody you have like a trainer at the gym, nobody mm-hmm. blinks an eye. Like everybody knows what a trainer is. Everybody thinks that's totally normal and not weird at all. Right. Even right. though in the beginning, that was like a very weird thing to do. You like go to a room and pick thing up heavy things and put them down. And like a stranger tells you how to do it. Like that was not a standard thing before. Mm-hmm. Um, so I totally get it. I think coaching is new in terms of just having that be like a professional sector of society. But, and, and there's a lot of stereotypes or just lack of knowledge about what it is. And there's so many kinds of coaches. It's like saying I'm a teacher, like, well, okay, there's a million different kinds of teachers. 
But right. fundamentally, what I think good coaching is, is really like practical philosophy. A lot of what I'm teaching is, you know, backed up by cognitive science and neuroscience for sure. And also it, you know, resembles the things that Socrates was teaching in ancient Greece. Like these, are, there's not, in some ways, not a lot new under the sun. There's like, it's always been hard to be a human. People have always needed help understanding like what is life and how am I supposed to live it? And why do I feel so crazy all the time? <laughs> how can I mm-hmm. feel better? And like, you know, how can I, how should I be a person in the world? And so I think there's a lot of ways to answer that question and coaching is one of them. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. What were some of the things that you noticed or like patterns you saw that women were talking about or coming to you for that made you think that there's a bigger problem at hand? Yeah, totally. When I started coaching myself, I noticed that like looking at my own thoughts and looking at all my, I had all these friends who also were like very high performing, high powered women, you know, people I'd met at Yale, people I'd met at Harvard Law School, people I knew who were just constantly like doubting themselves, thinking they weren't qualified for their jobs, thinking that they were not, you know, they were always doing it wrong. They were always about to get in trouble. Like they were never good enough, always super worried about what everyone thought about them. And I sort of realized that I think at base, almost all of these thought problems that women have is that women are socialized to believe that their value and worth depends on what other people think of them and on being of service to other people. And I'm somebody who cares a lot about being of service to the world. Like I was a nonprofit lawyer and I do a free podcast every week and have for four years. And like all of my work is mission driven. So of course, like being of service to the world is one thing. That's very different than putting your personal self-esteem on whether you are, you know, spending every last ounce of your energy helping other people in your life and neglecting yourself or sort of basing your self-esteem on whether everybody in your life is pleased with you at all times. Like there's this funny tweet that I have saved because it's so perfect. That's basically says, I just need everyone I know to reassure me that they're not mad at me every half hour for the rest of my life. Right. And like, that <laughs> is such a time and energy suck for people. And I think women in particular have this because we are taught from early on that basically we have to like earn the right to like think that we're okay and good enough and worthy. So we're constantly hustling for it. What is kind of like the evidence to show that that is what we were taught early on? Not that I don't believe you at all, but it would just yeah. Help. Well, I think you just look at like look at society. Like, what do we? What are what are the stereotypes about mothers? Like, a good mother is supposed to be selfless. Is always supposed to put her kids first, right? Women have so much guilt yeah. about ever like putting themselves first, like spending their money on themselves, or even just you know needing to like take a nap instead of do a fourteenth enriching activity for their child, or needing to make sure all of their food is home pureed or get whatever. These are all like, you're you know, touching all of the sensitive spots for me right now. <laughs> there you go. See, that's the coach intuition always pops up like that. And like some of this obviously is, um, you know, it's rel- like class and socioeconomic status and stuff plays into this. Like not everybody has, you know, the time or energy to be worrying about that. They've got some other version of it, which is like just trying to provide for and feed for their family. But the same socialization is impacting all of us, which is that, you know, we need like, what do we hear that women should be? They should be pretty. They should be helpful. They should be, you know, like pleasant. They should get along with everybody. They should, this is like not what men are taught in terms of like what they're supposed to be like. And, you know, I think patriarchy is bad for men too. Men get taught that they can like never show emotion and they have to, you know, masculinity is not, <laughs> is not great either the way it's taught. But I think for women in particular, if you just look at like, what are you taught is important about you? 
right? What do you hear? What did you hear growing up? And I mean, I will say I came from a family that was very focused on like my education, my career. It's not like my family was like, be pretty and quiet and get married immediately. And that's what women should do. But it doesn't matter even if your family is supportive, like we're living in a big culture, like look at the movies, look at what you are hearing in the media, look at who seems to be in charge all the time, like look who's in the government, look who's running the institutions. We absorb this stuff. It's not all explicit. A lot of it's implicit of just what we see, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you that you can also be focused on like your career, but also think like that your appearance affects that. Because I mean, that is what we're taught a lot of the time. It's all related. And there's no way to win, right? Like either if you don't care enough about your looks at work, then you're like being frumpy and not professional. If you care too much, Mm -hmm. then it's like you're trying to get ahead using your sexuality, right? There's always these catch 22s for how women are supposed to behave. So you mentioned people pleasing and imposter syndrome. And I I actually don't think you mentioned that, but that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. What is, I guess, the process of understanding imposter syndrome or the people pleasing nature? And then how do we overcome that? I don't know if that's a very loaded question. (laughs) No, that's okay. Yeah, these are big questions. And I, you know, of course, this stuff takes consistent work. Like you yes. shouldn't be listening to the podcast being like, oh, I still feel it at the end of the podcast. I did it wrong. <laughs> I'm still a people pleaser. <laughs> I'm still a people pleaser. So I would separate those two things. So imposter syndrome, okay. I think, comes more from um, the way that we are socialized. Women are not socialized often to see themselves as the authority. Like when you look at sort of who is given more roles of authority and power in society, it's more men. Of course, this is changing, but it hasn't, we're not at 50-50, right? If you look at politics, if you look at who runs companies, if you look at who is sort of seen as being authoritative, you know, nobody ever says a man slept his way to the top. Like when you, mm-hmm. so I think imposter syndrome comes more from um, women are socialized to always like doubt themselves, question themselves, not see themselves as an authority, think other people need to like validate their decisions or their capabilities. Women are more often sort of um, complimented for like being a hard worker versus like, having a brilliant idea, right? So I see a lot of women who will sort of be like, well, yes, you know, I think I I have been able to like get ahead. It's because I work really hard. You know, it's just, I'm not that smart. I'm just a really hard worker. Like you'll hear that a lot because women are also taught right. to be modest they're playing and down. not to be too they're full playing of themselves, it down. play it yeah. down. Yeah, that's like, mm-hmm. exactly. So that's imposter syndrome. People pleasing, I think is a separate, it's not, I mean, all this stuff is related, but like I, I would just look at them separately. People pleasing is... I think comes from this belief that like our value and our worth are based on what other people think of us. It's like we have to get a constant daily rating <laughs> of how we're doing in the world from other people's opinions to know if we're allowed to feel okay about ourselves. And that comes from that socialization that women are some girls are supposed to be helpful and polite and not hurt anybody else's feelings and like make sure everybody feels included and put other people in front of your own, put your other people's needs in front of your own, especially your friends or your family. And so when we don't have a solid relationship with ourselves, then we are constantly hustling for other people's approval. It's like a temporary high. It's like a sugar high to try to feel good about ourselves. And Mm -hmm. part of the problem with people pleasing is that it sort of sounds like kind of noble. So people, so we can sort of say to ourselves, like, I just care so much what other people think. That's why I'm a people pleaser as if that's like a good thing. But in fact, people pleasing is just lying. You're just constantly lying to people about what you want to do or what you want to, where you want to go to dinner, what kind of relationship you want to be in, whether you want to take this job, even whatever. Like people, women will, I mean, women will be in whole relationships they don't want to be in for fear of hurting someone else's feelings, right? Mm-hmm. For like people, will, <laughs> we can get, can get carried so far. And so I really always recommend like, don't tell yourself you're a people pleaser because it makes it sound kind of sweet and not that bad. Like you're lying. That's not because there's anything wrong with you. Like, and it's not, doesn't make you a bad person at all. But that's what's happening. We're just constantly lying about what we really think and feel because we think it's so irrational, right? We're like, I got to pretend to be someone I'm not. So this person will like the pretend person that I'm pretending to be. And that will make me feel good about myself. What's a, like an example? So like, let's say you, I mean, let's even take a small thing, right? Like, let's say you, your friend wants to, I don't know, go to the water park and you don't want to go. I'm trying to think something I would never want to do. I would never want to go to a water park. And my friend wanted me to go to the water park. Yeah. But right. I said yes, because I don't want my friend to think that like, 
I don't like them or I'm not game or I think I'm better than them or I'm shitting on what they like to do. So I say, yes, I'll go to the water park. Now I'm spending the whole day doing something I don't really want to do. I'm taking time away from what I do want to do or invest my time in. I'm pretending to be someone I'm not, right? Which is this is like the irony at the heart of people pleasing is that the whole reason that we are people pleasing is we want the other person to like us so we can feel good about ourselves, right? We want them to like us. But the person you're pretending to be isn't really you. So you are getting someone to like a fake version of you that's not even you. So you are not actually feeling any better about your real self because you haven't even shown them your real self. So it's just like the whole thing doesn't make sense when you unravel it. I hear you totally. And I think that like definitely applies to a lot, especially when you like throw guilt in Mm -hmm. the mix. Um, But how sometimes though, I think it could be an exploration of like your interests. Say somebody invited you to a movie that you would never want to watch for example, my husband asked me to watch the movie Jackass. <laughs> and, and I was like, that is not my humor. But, mm-hmm. you know, I've never given it a try. And he and I would like to spend time with you. Yeah. So, but that's a totally different thought process motivating diff- you. That feels different, right? When you then when your me, thought, yeah, right. then you being like, I have to say it because otherwise to like he'll be me. mad at me and I don't want him to be mad at me. So I just should have to go along uh-huh. with it even though I don't want to. So it'll feel different even in your body. It's a different emotional state. That's the motivation matters. Yeah, the motivation yes. matters. Exactly. It's not yes. the water park. Some people love water parks. Like, and if I or was like, people, right. <laughs> like my partner has kids. And if he was like, listen, my kids really love the water park. I think this would be a good bonding activity. Like, yes. will you come? If my thought process is, you know, I want to bond with the kids. This is a good opportunity to do that. So I'm making a free choice to do it. Then I'll feel totally different than if I'm like, I don't want to go. I hate water parks, but if I say it, they'll be mad at me. Right. So then I'm like betraying myself to try to keep someone from being mad at me, but then I won't feel good in two days. I'll be worried. They're mad at me again. People pleasing is like throwing your money out the window. It's like, you're not ever making, that's not making a deposit in any way that helps when you do something in a relationship, friendship, relationship, whatever, where you're like, listen, I hate jackass, but I love you and you want me to go. So even if you already knew you hated it, so I'm going to go with you. And that shows that I love you and you know why I'm doing it. And that it's like, that's like making a deposit in a like relationship in a way that will give back to you, even for yourself, even if they don't come do your thing. It's like, you're doing it from this like free heart. It's a gift, right? It's not trying Mm -hmm. to manipulate the other person. When we people please, we're manipulating the other, but I think it's a great question. So for everybody listening, like when we people please, we're manipulating the other person. We're like, I'm not going to tell you the truth. It's totally different to be like, listen, honey, I would never go to a water park for any other reason other than to bond with your children. But because I love you, I'm going to do that. Right. And also I may peace out at 1 PM because I can't take more than three hours. Like I'm telling the truth about who I am mm-hmm. and I'm agreeing to do this thing and explaining why, but I'm not yeah. pretending that I'm some other person who loves water parks to try to prevent, to manipulate you into thinking I'm a different person. So you won't be upset with Right. And you brought up like saying, oh, I'm going to peace out at three hours because you're setting your boundaries too. Right. You have explored yourself. Um, totally. Yeah, I hear you on that. That's a great clarification. Yeah. It's like, are you telling the truth about yourself or are you lying is a big distinction to make. Right. Or do you just don't care enough about your interests or yourself right? right, to do what somebody else wants you to do, which is essentially the heart of people pleasing as you were explaining. So what is the difference between like caring what other people think mm-hmm. of you and pleasing, people pleasing. I don't think there is a difference really. I mean, it all comes down to like, why do we, we all accept as natural that it's natural to care what other people think. And I think it is natural in the sense that we're socialized to do that, especially as women. So like humans evolved in small tribes, right? And one evolutionary psychology theory is basically that, you know, because of that, humans are very sensitive to social relationships and rejection because you, if you live in a small tribe, everybody needs to, you know, you all need to cooperate to survive. And if people decide they hate you and they're leaving you sleeping when they move camp that night, like you're mm-hmm. out of luck and now you're going to die. So, you know, that's one theory about why people are, can be so sensitive to social rejection. But then there's also whatever your family relationships were like, there is what you're socialized as, right? Women, people are socialized to fear different kinds of rejection more than others, right? To take different kinds of rejection more seriously. So a lot of influences go into it. So it is natural in that sense to care what people think in that everybody does it and we can understand why. That doesn't mean it's helpful or that it has to be that way. 
And there's a real difference between, I would make a distinction between I care what other people think, like my I'm emotionally invested in it versus I'm interested if somebody has feedback they want to offer me. Like, I don't think that emotionally divesting from what other people think of you, people worry that if they do that, they will somehow like not be able to hear important feedback in their life or something, or they'll just become like a crazed, arrogant lunatic running around the world, just whatever, which in my experience is not what happens. Actually, the less you are emotionally invested in what other people think of you, actually, the more you can hear other people's thoughts about you or anything else without being reactive. But when we say like caring what people think in the sense of if other people don't approve of me, I can't approve of myself is just a setup for disaster because you can't get everybody in the world to approve of you. And you, you can't even get everybody in your family to prove of you all the time, or like your, you know, your close friends. And especially if you want to do something bigger in the world, like I'm, you know, if I want to be out there teaching what I teach, yeah, a lot of people are going to like not agree with it, think it's wrong, think I shouldn't be allowed to like myself, like think, you know, I live in a larger body. Like there's people who think that the fact that I feel confident to put a sw- picture of a swimsuit of myself in a swimsuit on the internet is unacceptable to them. Like, Mm-hmm. I can't live my life based on what other people think of me because it's not democracy and we're never we're never going to be able to get everybody to approve of us. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun. But the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another point that you you make or have made, I've seen in your content, is like that women end up hating their bodies. And that's mm-hmm. a common theme that you see. How and we have to, I've had so many people on this show to talk about like body acceptance, body neutrality, mm-hmm. and every, right. <laughs> every type of way that we can try to feel yeah. about our bodies except hating it. So how do we actually go about act, feeling confident? Mm-hmm. What, what's your, what's your theory there? Yeah. So I think that the reason a lot of people struggle with body, even acceptance, neutrality or positivity or whatever is that, um, Body work was one of the first like areas I did a lot of deep work in and in some ways like the basis for all of my work, which is that when we try to believe thoughts that are too far away from what we actually believe, we don't get any emotional payoff and we don't actually change our brains. So for example, if you hate your body, let's say you think your stomach is disgusting. That is your thought. First of all, you may not even be aware you think that because you haven't tuned in to how self-critical your thoughts really are. All you know is that like when you look in the mirror, you like feel gross, quote unquote, or something like that. Like you don't even know really what's back there. But if you start, if you go through the process of becoming aware, it's often quite cruel thoughts we have about ourselves that we've been taught by society. So whether you're aware of the direct thought or not, you then try to change it by thinking like, all bodies are beautiful. Right. And like, you don't believe that. So it's not helpful. And the way we get to believing a new thought is not to pick something that is so far from what we believe. It's like if you tried to run a marathon by just running the whole marathon at once right away. Like you die. And if you didn't die, you'd never run again. Like that would not work. 
right? But that's what we try to do when we're changing thoughts because it's like a skill that nobody has taught us how to do correctly. And so body image is a great example of something where those neural patterns are so strong. Women have been thinking self-critical thoughts about their body since they were like eight years old, if not earlier. And often if you ask women, it'll be the same parts of themselves they've been criticizing since then. Like it get that groove is really deep and we mm-hmm. have these thoughts all the time. So we are not going to go from my stomach is disgusting to I am a beautiful goddess in one <laughs> jump. So what you want to do is practice a very factual, neutral statement like this is a human stomach. It does mm-hmm. not feel inspirational. It would not be on a Pinterest quote. I always say it should like it should not look like it would go on a beach graphic on Instagram. Like it's not inspirational at all. We're not even trying to feel neutral. We're definitely not trying to feel good. We're just mm-hmm. trying to feel 1% less terrible. So if you think the thought, my stomach is disgusting, and you feel like a horrible sinking shame feeling in your body, and then you think this is a human stomach, and that lightens like 10%, that's what we're going for. And then you repeat that thought to yourself. You train your brain to think this is a human stomach over and over until that becomes your default thought, and then you can go up again. So I call this the thought ladder. But in my mind, this is the piece that is missing from most body image, body positivity conversations is like how tiny the step needs to be and how much repetition you need to have. So I, you know, you may need to spend six months thinking every day, multiple times a day, this is a human stomach. Over time, your brain gets better at believing new things. It's like literally Mm -hmm. a skill, like learning to drive and you get to be able to like take bigger jumps with new thoughts. But you have to learn how to do it. And it, it would be like trying to get in a car and be like, great, I'm going to take a cross-country road trip. I've never driven a day before in my life. Crash the car immediately. Right. That's not how it works. So to me, that's the biggest thing and the most useful thing that like listeners can practice that is not being covered elsewhere sort of is like, what is an incredibly baby step thought? And then you've got to repeat that thought so many times. It's not insight. It's not I think it once mm-hmm. and then I get it. You literally have to think it until that path in your brain, if you think about like going into a forest and there's one path that's clear and the other one is all brambles and trees, you have to hack your way through that new path over and over until it's even smoother than the existing path. That's a great visual. Do you believe though the goal is like, what's the eventual, how many more steps are there to do what? Do you want us all to love? It's up to every. I mean, I think our, people get to decide. Our like, problem areas, quote <laughs> as they've told us we have. <laughs> My goal is body liberation, which means okay. Everybody gets to decide for themselves what they want to think about their body. I don't think like it's not a moral imperative. It's not like I think women can take anything. We take anything and we turn it because it's how we're socialized. We turn it into another should. It's like yeah. oh, now I'm failing at body positivity, and now I feel bad. <laughs> at now I'm like. Now, not only do I hate my stomach, but I feel shitty about myself because I hate my stomach and I'm failing at body positivity and I'm not being a good whatever. Mm -hmm. So to me, I mean, there's the political project of sort of fat liberation and body size acceptance, which is like getting rid of discrimination in society against people in different size bodies. But the personal version and side of it is like some people may want to love their body. Some people may want just body acceptance. Some people may want to divest entirely from the concept of like, beautiful or not. Like, why should I even think about any of this? Who cares? Some people may want to find themselves beautiful. Like, I don't have an opinion about what your goal should be. I really see myself as someone who teaches people how to understand the truth of what's happening in their brain and where they are and be able to set a goal from a place that is at least more aware and then teaches them like what the process is to move themselves towards it. But I'm kind of agnostic in terms of what's the goal. It's up to you. And people come to you or come, you've heard so many different issues people have. Yeah, this stuff applies bodies. to literally anything, but in your, anything in your life, like everything that you are interacting with in the world, the way you're thinking is impacting how you show up for that. And so, yeah, any, anything with your body, aging, relationships, work, I mean, just in any area, the same concept is true, which is what are you thinking? What is it producing for you? How can we shift that? What about comparing ourselves to others, mm-hmm. which is also a natural human behavior? Yeah, it's natural, but it's also socialized, right? I mean, it's okay. not just natural, I think. I think we are, women are socialized to believe that they are in competition with each other for a scarce resource of like the good men. Uh, even though obviously not everybody is straight, 
the overarching socialization is still assumes, right? Call heteronormativity, like assumes that people are straight. And so women are socialized, right? Why do we have all these stereotypes that like women are catty and women are jealous, right? And women backstab each other, like, which has not been my experience at all. But that is the stereotype we have about women mm-hmm. in like female friendship. And we are socialized to think that we are in competition for scarce resources. That's not just women. That's also like capitalism also socializes us that way. So I call it like compare and despair. It's totally common, right? Women like what we walk into a room and we like look around the room and then we like compare our appearance to everybody else in the room to see if we're allowed to feel good about ourselves. But Mm. that thought process, right, is so um, both unhelpful and painful. And it's also so arbitrary, right? So you might feel good about yourself if you've decided you're the best looking one in the room and then a supermodel comes in and now you have to feel terrible. That doesn't make any sense. The supermodel always existed, right? But if she like wasn't in your presence, then you were allowed to feel good about yourself. So we have to like dismantle all of that is the same process of like looking at the ways in which so much this comes down to, do you have a relationship with yourself where you have created self-confidence just within yourself? Or is it built on constantly shifting sand of what other people think about and how are you comparing to them and who's around you and right? Like, so much of the process is noticing how much we've put our self-confidence on these unstable foundations and how to build up a stable foundation in yourself for that confidence. What do you think the difference is between confidence and self-esteem? I don't make a huge distinction between those. Like, I think, um, I mean, there may be one in the literature, like, but I don't, to me, it's just about what is your relationship with yourself. Like, I think okay. confidence is an outgrowth of that. So is self-esteem. It's really just like, how do you talk to yourself? What mm-hmm. are your thoughts about yourself? How do you treat yourself? Like, it's that, it's your relationship with yourself. Like, people people think that self-confidence is like this destination they're going to get to. Yeah. And then, like, they'll always feel confident forever. But your relationship with yourself is like your relationship with any long-term relationship, a friend, a partner. Like, some days you have more fun than others. <laughs> like, sometimes you That's feel... A great point deliriously in love. Some days you're just like, I like you, but you're chewing really loud right now. Like that is a normal thing. But how can you have a fundamental baseline of respect and care with yourself like you do with a long-term friend or partner rather than what we have now? A lot of us is a baseline of criticism and contempt and shame with ourselves. Yes. And which makes us very porous to mm-hmm. all of the content that we consume or everything that we see, all the messages that are constantly being hammered totally. at us. And then we are like, oh, maybe I see their life seems better. Maybe I should just X, Y, Z, be yeah. vegan, do whatever. Well, lose 10 thing. pounds, find a different husband, whatever Botox. it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And They're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, Newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Okay, so what is the line then with rejecting all the external messages of self-help and you don't actually need any of these things that are mm-hmm. people, people are selling you versus I do want to lose five mm. pounds or um, I can't really accept that I don't really like how some of this clothes fits me, so I'm going to mm-hmm. do that or I'm going to buy this makeup and apply makeup because I feel better that way. And that gives me confidence or mm-hmm. I'm going to get Botox or plastic mm. surgery. Like, yeah, where are we there? <laughs> where, well, we're all in different places, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't I, – one of the things that I believe very strongly in is not being um, all or nothing or perfectionist about any of this, right? So it's almost like what I want to say is like there isn't one line. Everybody has to make their own decisions. We're all like complicit in some of these symptoms, in some of these systems. And we've been socialized to take pleasure in some of it and pleasure feels good. And so it's a complicated question. Like I wear lipstick sometimes, right? I'm not like I care if my curls look good. I get them cut. I pay a lot of money for a like expensive curly specific haircut so that my curls look good in a way that society has told me what that means and if they look good. Like I am not a purist. But for me, it's very important that my fundamental self-acceptance doesn't hinge on those things. Mm -hmm. So to me, there's a big difference between sometimes I like to wear makeup because, yes, I still think it looks pretty and that's, you know, that's socialization, but fine, versus I don't feel I can leave the house without makeup because I can't let people see what I really look like because I would feel so ashamed. What's the conversation you're having with yourself or anybody who's listening to determine whether or not if their confidence rel- hinges I mean, on to things. me, a really good test is, could I like myself and be comfortable without doing this thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. That to me is like the distinction. If we had to have a one-line distinction, which I want to like push back on because I think it really depends okay. on the person and everybody's yeah. in a different place and is going to make different decisions. And I don't think there is a clear line. But if I had to be like, here's the one question to ask yourself, it would mm-hmm. be, have I put my self-acceptance on this thing? It's one thing, right? Like, do I, if I think about not being able to do the thing, like all the makeup in the world is gone suddenly, Mm -hmm. am I able to leave the house or am I telling myself now that means I'm unacceptable? If the plastic surgery is no longer available, if the whatever. So I think there's like, are you putting your self-acceptance on it? And so maybe there's two questions. And the other one is, are so much of what we do, and this is not just in beauty, but beauty, the beauty industry sells this to us for sure the weight loss industry too, is so, and this is a human thing. We just all would like to stop having this human experience where we feel bad sometimes. We are like always looking for where is the promised land where we will always Mm -hmm. feel good and we will always feel happy and we will never feel sad. We will never feel lonely and it will always Mm -hmm. feel good. And a lot of these things that we do is because we have a fantasy that once we do them, we'll finally be there. Like that's why certain people like, want to make a certain amount of money. They want to look a certain way. They want to have a certain kind of relationship. So like I always, I'm like, obviously in my line of work, very big on like setting goals and achieving new things, but I am always coaching my students like, okay, imagine you made that million dollars. And also sometimes you still feel grumpy for no reason, or you're mad at your girlfriend. Like, are you imagining the reality or are you imagining that once you get to that place, once you get that Botox, once you make that money, once you have that partner, you never imagine yourself like you're going to get the Botox. You are still going to feel shitty about your appearance sometimes. Now, knowing that, do you still want to do it? Like that's how you check to see if you are just having this fantasy that you will get out away from the human experience of negative emotion by taking this action. What are your thoughts on the fake it till you make it advice? Hate it. That you hear. Big, big <laughs> unfan. I don't know what the opposite of a fan is. Big hater on that (laughs) advice. Here's why I hate that advice. That is just a prescription for having imposter syndrome for the rest of your life. Everybody's already faking it. Everybody with imposter syndrome is already faking it. And that imposter syndrome has not gone away because you are not changing your thoughts. You're just changing your actions. So 
fake it till you make it just means pretend you're confident. But if you are not changing your thought process, then you are never going to feel more confident. So this is why I end up with people who are C-suite executives at Fortune 100 companies who need coaching because they don't think that they deserve their jobs and they don't think they're good enough and somebody's going to find out. Like they faked it all the way to the top and it did not change their thought process. So I think people say that it's like well-meaning because we don't know what else to say because for some reason we don't learn. Maybe now they do learn it in kindergarten. My friend's kids seem to be learning a lot more about thoughts and feelings than I did. But like we're not taught how to change your thoughts. So we're like, I don't know what to do. I guess fake it till you make it. Let's hope that works. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that it works because it doesn't change your thinking. It's just you trying to keep taking the actions as if you were confident. And I don't think in some way, in some fundamental way, it's impossible to fake it till you make it because you don't even know what kind of like brilliance and wisdom and strategic thinking you would come up with if you fully believed in yourself or even just believed in yourself 10% more. So when you're trying to fake it, you're trying to like fake the confidence that you can imagine having when you don't mm-hmm. really have confidence. And I don't even think you can imagine what it feels like to truly feel confident when you don't really have, when you don't really know how to do it. So it's almost like you're not even, it's like the, the advice is sort of nonsensical. It's almost like you can't imagine the new world you could be in until you've actually done some of the work to change your thinking. But you believe that people are actually using like you using this as a method. I think people are telling themselves, I don't even know if anybody's using it. I think what's happening is people are saying it to themselves as a like kind of mantra being like, well, I feel terrible, but I guess I'll say yes to this opportunity because fake it till you make it. Like, I don't know that anybody even knows what that means to like fake it till right. you make it. I'm not sure anybody's actually doing it exactly. I think it's it's also a lot of women say that. Totally. Because of the imposter syndrome. Yeah. I think people take it to mean, you like, I think when people are doing it, what they're doing is pushing through a negative emotion to take an action anyway, mm-hmm. because they don't think there's another option. So for instance, maybe people are out there asking for a raise, even though they feel insanely anxious doing it because it's like, okay, well, I got to fake being confident and act like I'm confident and ask for the raise, even though I don't feel confident. Because they don't know that there's this other option, which has actually changed my thoughts on purpose to actually feel confident and truly see my own value and then ask for the raise, which, by the way, might look totally different in terms of how you ask and what you ask for and what your energy is and what you think is possible for you once you've actually changed your thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also like a way, if like you're self-conscious about performing or doing something, it's a way to say like, how would I act if I mm-hmm. wasn't self-conscious? Yeah. This is, I have no choice because I want this thing for myself. So let me just kind of say fuck it <laughs> and look confident, appear confident, mm-hmm. which you're saying you may act d- differently than if you mm-hmm. actually were confident. Yeah. I mean, I think if you use it in a way where you're like, okay, if I were confident, what would I think and feel and say? Well, then you're actually just doing thought work, basically. Like that is changing your thoughts, right? right? But if you're just trying to sort of like push through the insecurity, Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, I totally understand. This is not a criticism of anyone. This is nobody has taught us another way. So like this Mm -hmm. is what, and we keep reading this advice everywhere. So we're like, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. But I just think if it worked, then all these people at the high levels wouldn't have the imposter syndrome anymore because they all have faked it and faked it until they made it until then. And the problem with fake it until you make it is like you're basically confirming for people that they are imposters who have to fake it. Right. I have a reason to want to fake it. Yeah. And like you're telling Mm -hmm. them that they need to fake it. Like the whole problem with imposter syndrome is that people think that they're faking it. So I don't think that we should reinforce that. (sighs) That's a lot lot of to think about. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, having me on a podcast is like opening a fire no, hydrant. I love sometimes. it. I love it. No, I love it. It's <laughs> it's it's great. It makes you really explore a lot of your thoughts and mm-hmm. actions. Sort of last question. Yeah. Let's say somebody is listening to this and is now questioning themselves: Do I have <laughs> imposter syndrome, yeah. or do, or am I? Or wow, I can change. Right, like I don't need mm-hmm. to have imposter syndrome my whole life as an example. Yeah. What are a couple of like steps mm-hmm. that they can take or yeah. sh- ways in which they can think differently? So everybody, uh, if you should go listen to, there's an episode of my podcast called the thought ladder. That is a good episode to go listen to, but basically what you do pick one thing. So like, and make it concrete, like, 
I'm scared to present my idea at the staff meeting next week. Whatever. I'm scared to text that person and ask for a second date. Like whatever the thing is, pick a thing. Write down all your thoughts about it. Don't like edit it. Try not to judge yourself. Really try to be curious. Like you just want to see what's in your brain. Write it all down. Pick whatever sentence in there feels like the most, brings up the most negative emotion for you. Like makes you feel the most scared or makes you feel the most worried or the most shame or whatever. Even if you can't identify the emotion, bad. Whatever makes you feel the most bad, pick that Mm -hmm. sentence. Okay. That's a thought you have in your mind that is creating this negative emotion for you. Negative emotions are a part of life. There's nothing wrong with feeling a negative emotion. But if you're looking at this and you're like, okay, my thought is my idea isn't good enough. And then I feel fear and like I might not even bring it up because I'm scared of that. So we know that this is not a useful thought. And then you want to brainstorm what are some thoughts you could practice thinking instead that are, again, very small neutral thought, not this is the best idea anyone's ever had in the history of the company. Like you don't believe that. So you're not, it's not going to help you. You got to brainstorm a thought that's like even something like maybe my brain isn't totally reliable about whether this is a good idea or people who have lots of good ideas are sometimes nervous before they present them. Like you were just going for, and I guess some more techniques in that podcast, but you're just going for like a baby step neutral thought. And then you got to practice that thought over and over again until you start to believe it automatically. That is the basic process. Remind everyone what the name of that episode is called. It is called The Thought Ladder. It is episode 83. And this is everyone, the podcast on Fuck Your Brain. Cara, I have to say this conversation felt like it's been 10 minutes, but we've been here for (laughs) much longer and I feel like I could talk to you forever, but you're a good life coach, I guess. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad to have been here. I know you have a coaching community and so many other things. So can you share for those who are interested where mm-hmm. they can learn more? Yeah, um, definitely start with the podcast. It's called Unfuck Your Brain. People are listening. To, if you're listening to this podcast, you like podcasts, start there. Um, and then you can also find me at unfuckyourbrain.com. Yes, I have a coaching community called The Clutch. And depending on when this episode comes out, we're not we are um, open for enrollment only certain times of the year, but you can always sign up for the wait list. Uh, and you can find me on social media. I usually recommend going to unfuckyourbrain.com to find everything because my name is hard to spell. But you can also find me on social media by searching <laughs> these kinds of terms. But yeah, listen to the podcast. It's anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, thank you so, so much. This was an awesome episode. It was a great conversation. And thanks for joining me on DST. And everyone, that is it for today's episode of Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm going to be back this Thursday to answer your dear DST questions. Email them, DST at Betches.com. And follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow. Follow me at Aileen. Follow Cara at Cara Lowenthal. And we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Stacey Wong, and Jorge Morales-Pico. Editing by Stacey Wong. Be sure to follow at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com. Betches.